Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the Product-Led Podcast. I am so excited to share with you Chris, who is the CEO of one of the coolest names of a company, Nuff Said. And it's going to be a really fun chat. Chris has done extensive research on this whole new low-touch model around customer support, customer success, and why I really wanted to have Chris on this call today. Not just because he has this, I don't know, for the listeners here, he has the best background Warshack ever. He's ready for the zombie apocalypse. He's got the swords ready at the ready in Salt Lake City. But with all this research he's done, he's really kind of flushed out this whole low-touch model. And as a product-led business, even if you are a sales-led business, you really have to figure out this whole difference between low-touch and high-touch models. And so we're going to dive deep into some of this research. So Chris, before we get into the nitty-gritty of this fun topic, can you just give us a little bit of a background around yourself and what got you even interested about this topic too. I'm curious. Yeah, thanks. Uh, first, thanks for having me join, Wes. Great to be a part of this. I'm also very interested in product-led growth as a topic. And the problem that I saw, and this this happened, you know, I was president and COO of user testing for about eight years. The problem that I saw was that as we onboarded more apps, productivity tools, et cetera, people on the team were becoming increasingly overloaded with information and communication. And we all kind of know the story of how we come into the office every day knowing there are certain things we need to get done. And then that work gets buried under a pile of email, chat, SMS, LinkedIn, newsletters, updates, Salesforce, Jira. We know that story. And so productivity apps as a category haven't enabled us to become proactive in getting the most important work done for our day. So we're kind of thinking about this problem differently and thinking about, you know, what could a new category of products look like that enable us to go from reactive people who are working 14 hours a day and not getting the important stuff done to proactive workers who are able to spend time on on the work that matters. And so enough said is a company that is building software kind of you know ai is kind of the underlying technology driving it which understands who you are at work and with that understanding helps you to well first of all it filters out all the all the junk and the noise out of your workspace but most importantly it helps you to focus on the work and the tasks that matter for your job so focus and then action uh, so that's what we're building. It's, it's quite a broad vision. For that reason, we are focusing the company initially on customer success as the first audience to get a an AI-powered brain. And so the result of that is that a lot of our marketing work is around content for customer success, which leads us to the low-touch customer success model today. Totally. I was going to say, like, I spot this pattern from a mile away with this whole proactive versus reactive thing. And I think, like, that product uh, mixed with, like, customer support and customer success, too, is perfect because it's, like, it's mostly in most organizations, it is a completely reactive role. You see what's coming in and you're like, oh, we got to jump on that. But... I think the best organizations and best teams are always thinking like, how can we be proactive about this? So I'm super interested to like take this a step further and go down this low touch model uh, wormhole. And so can you tell us just like a little bit more about your research that you've done around this low touch model and how it's really impacted uh, both customer support and customer success. But I guess before we even go through that, I was just thinking might actually be helpful if you just gave us an overview of, you know, the different types of support, and then we can go more around the low touch model now that I think of it. Yeah, well... 
let's talk about the difference between customer success and customer support first, because they're, of yeah. course, completely different functions. Customer support, I'd say probably the defining difference between the two is customer support is designed to be more of a reactive function. So customer support is taking care of technical support questions, help desk, you know, pricing questions for, for prospects. Customer success, when implemented correctly, is a proactive function to enable customers, to ensure customers get value from your product. And within the landscape of customer success, there are, the way that we define it in the article, there's kind of four models that you can choose to implement depending on the size of your customer, the maturity of your product, et cetera. And so I think we're all familiar, we're most familiar with the two most common types, which are the human-led customer success types, which is uh, the dedicated CSM model, where CSM is managing 10 to you know, 50 accounts, there's a one-to-one relationship, you're doing quarterly business reviews, uh, you're making sure that the monitoring the customer's usage of the product. And then there's the strategic CSM, which is the white glove embedded CSM. They're managing one to five accounts. I mentioned deeply embedded into the product. You know, they know key executives in the account. They're working on expanding relationships to other business units, et cetera. Now, that's the human-led model. The digitally-led model also has two different levels or two different types of models that you can implement. The first one we call low-touch, which is when humans are, we call them technology-enabled humans. So humans that can manage hundreds or thousands of customers. And then there is a tech-touch model, which is a purely automated model where there's basically no human intervention. So low touch versus tech touch. And I think the focus of today's conversation is about the low touch model, tech enabled humans. How do you pull that off at scale? And I think this is especially relevant for product led growth companies where, you know, oftentimes you're servicing hundreds, thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of customers that are on a free or low paid plan. And yet you still, you want to make sure that they're getting value. They're telling their friends and, you know, the growth of the company, well, like it says, the growth of the company is coming from the product itself. Totally. And to give more context to like to expand on that, it is so important. Like a lot of the listeners here, they're either thinking of like they have a sales like company, they want to become more product-led, or they're already product-led and they just want to scale this up. And so one of the common risks that a lot of people assume is gonna be this massive risk is usually around support. It's like, hey, if we open up this free product and all of a sudden we have thousands of people asking us for all this help, and we have like a dedicated CSM model oh my goodness, like the the cost is going to be just crazy, skyrocketing high. But you do need to think about like, what are some of these low touch or even it's completely tech touch for those free users. And so why I think this conversation is so important is just because of that reason. Like if you do have a free model, you do have thousands of people using your product. That's incredible. But you got to figure out a way that scales with you and figure out how to really think through, you know, what approach is best. And so I guess on that note too, how do you decide, you know, what approach is best? Do you just had to pick one approach? Could you do a combination of this? How do you think through that, Chris? First, I want to agree. If your company just launches a uh, you know self-serve product, you will create massive problems for the company. You can't just decide on Monday that you're going to do low touch and then on Friday, you've got a, this low touch model enabled. I think the first question that you have to ask whether or not it's even appropriate to implement a low touch model. And we have a graph in the article, which is kind of a, think about it as a, a three by three matrix. On one axis, 
you have potential ARR of the customer. On the other axis, you have product complexity. And then, you know, for each, there's kind of like low, medium, and high ARR potential customers. And there are low, medium, and high complexity products. And a lot of companies think, oh, well, I'd love to roll out a tech touch, you know, a low touch model. But for a lot of companies, it's not appropriate for them to roll out a tech touch model because their product, frankly, is just way too complex. And without human intervention, it would be nearly impossible to get value out of the product. So, for example, even if you have a very high potential ARR customer, if your product complexity is high, it makes actually no sense at all to implement a a low-touch model. So the decision-making matrix, and maybe we can share the link with you later, Wes, the decision-making matrix on whether or not you can implement low-touch depends heavily on ARR potential of the customer and product complexity. And really, you know, at least maybe I'll read off the chart here for people who don't have access to it. Really, the only three cases where it makes sense to have a low-touch model is when the potential ARR of the customer is low and the product complexity is either low or moderate, or when the potential ARR of the customer is moderate and the product complexity is very low. Those are really the only three cases where I think it makes sense to have a digitally led model for customer success. Interesting. And so given that uh, graph, I think for the listeners too, like it's so simple. At the end of the day, it's like, okay, this is super complex as far as it goes. Uh, you might want more of that like higher touch model. And then based on the potential ARR, if it's higher, it definitely makes sense to have more of the, the high touch versus the low touch. Makes complete sense. Why do you think more companies are going to have like having to move towards this more low touch or maybe even a tech touch model? as the SaaS space evolves? Well, I think the reason why product-led growth has become so interesting for investors is because the sales-led growth model is very expensive to maintain over time. The cost of customer acquisition in a sales-led growth motion is often 100% of first year's ARR or gross profit margins. And when you start talking about a company that's doing hundreds of millions of dollars in sales, that becomes a really unattractive model. So in a digitally, in a product-led growth model, companies have the opportunity to let individual users make the buying decision themselves at a low price point, and then let the groundswell of success and support for the product drive adoption within the company and drive account expansion, which significantly, significantly decreases cost of customer acquisition. And when the product-led growth motion is very mature, it actually drives incredible growth rates for the company. So I think for that reason, everyone wants to adopt a product-led growth model. However, in order to get there, companies have to invest significantly in making the product easier to use. I think a really good example of a company that did this recently was Salesforce. So Salesforce had a very complex to use product web-based client for doing you know, account and contact and opportunity management. And their low contract value customers were having a difficult time using the product and getting value. So they invested a ton of money in coming up with a skin that they call Salesforce Lightning, which is a much, much easier to use version of Salesforce that actually makes Salesforce a piece of cake to use. So that took them years and tons of investment on the UX side to get there. 
but that's how they helped unlock their own product-led growth strategy. Interesting. Yeah. I think to that point too, as far as a lot of the companies listing, they're thinking about going down this path and becoming more product-led ends. I think there's the notion that it's really simple or, you know, it's just a free trial. It's just a freemium model. That's all there is to it. But they don't think about, okay, there's probably going to be a different way we do support, probably a different way you do sales, probably a little bit of a different way you market different audience. You're not targeting the execs anymore. You might be targeting the end users. So it's it's really like, that's kind of what got me into product like growth in the first place. It's like, you see the thing at the top, which might be the free job free model. And then you're like, oh my goodness, there's a ton of layers behind this onion. <laughs> We really got to dissect the full thing. So yeah, I think even what Salesforce was able to do with the Lightning product, it's like, that's fast, like innovation in a, a company that size too, with everything else that moves along that whole approach. So let me just jump in on that, Wes. I yeah. think people might disagree with me on this point, but I would not consider a free trial or proof of concept product-led growth. Totally. That's something that sales would advocate for as an easier way to drive more leads into mm-hmm. their funnel. Having a free trial or proof of concept model will not drive the unit economics nor the growth rates that are possible with a true product-led growth approach where you have a product that you get to use on a regular basis that delivers value at a low cost or free price point and requires no human intervention at all to use. Yes. And I'm happy you jumped in there too, because I think that's a common misconception. Like you could have free trial, even a freemium model and still be sales led. It really happens or like breaks down in my mind of like, how do you treat those leads? Is it just like another demo that's more cost-effective of getting people in the door? They come for the, the free trial, but then they get the sales. <laughs> so there's a lot of ways you can size and dice it, but it's not just that simple. So thank you for calling that out. Now for the people who are thinking, okay, I know now there's like the four main ways you can support your users. There's the high touch, there's the low touch. We know now that, okay, depending on how complex your product is, how big your annual recurring revenues or potential ARR for these companies is, uh, you can slice and dice, you know, which option is best for you. What's the next step for people thinking about low touch? They have these options. Where do you go from there as far as you'd approach it? Yeah, well, let's talk about the maturity scale that we're seeing from most companies. And I think there's, you know, we'll talk about three levels of maturity. Level one, we actually just call this level dedicated CSMs. This is the model where you just throw humans at the problem. So you've got hundreds or thousands of low-touch customers, and you just say, okay, small number of CSMs, you service these accounts and figure it out. There's actually some benefits to this model, which are humans are really good at overcoming deficiencies in the product. So actually, for a lot of the areas where the product has shortcomings or is difficult to use, your humans will figure that out. I think so that's that's a really nice bridge to, you know, as you're kind of improving the quality and ease of use of the product. The second thing is humans are good at detecting at what stages customers are likely to have roadblocks or to have problems with their experience. And so humans can start to detect like, okay, if we're going to scale out this model over time, these are the three or four points within the customer journey that we should invest time in automating because this is where customers have the bulk of their problems. So for that reason, I actually think for a lot of companies, it's worth starting with this model. The downside, of course, is 
Well, it's exactly what you'd expect. It's very expensive to implement at scale. CSMs end up being totally reactive because they have way too much inbound. And as a result of that, CSMs will end up spending the majority of their time on either the loudest customers or the highest potential growth customers, and everyone else will get ignored. So it's definitely not the model that you want to stick with over time. Before I move on to level two, any thoughts on that or reactions to that, Wes? So I'll give an interesting parallel. But this is a company in Brazil. They just got acquired called Arty Station. And so they took a similar approach to this, not for support though. This was for their sales team. And they went from sales to product-led and basically they started off with this free product and they they took their best salesperson and said, hey, we're going to stick you. <laughs> You're going to figure out how to convert these product by leads into paying customers. So it's always a way where it's like, if you don't have something automated yet, that's fine. Just start with finding like, whether that's the CSM or the best salesperson, throw them at that job. <laughs> There's tons of benefits. Like you mentioned, they can make up for a product that might not be as easy to use. Uh, there is certain drawbacks, like it won't scale, but that's not what you're going for yet. You're going for figuring out what works and what doesn't. And then you can really automate the stuff that works. So I just want to add that in there. But yeah, feel free to take it away for a level two. Uh, That's a great example. And I think once you understand the customer journey, you can jump to level two, which is technology-assisted CSMs. And in this model, CSMs are using technology. They're using one-to-many emails, text messages, in-app notifications. They've put in place training webinars, help resources like um, one-pagers or success stories and case studies. They're using uh, content and automation to drive a lot of the engagement and touch points with customers. And a lot of times in this model, companies will create a, uh, they call it a pooled CSM model, where CSMs are available as a resource to help engage with customers. And so you, you might write into like, you know, customer success at uh, acme.com and one of five different CSMs will be available to you to answer your questions. So the benefits of this model over level one are that one, customers will get faster response times because they'll have a pool of people who can engage as questions come in. Technology is used for a bulk of the customer journey where there are potential roadblocks. So the customer is unblocked at the moment that they have the problem, as opposed to having to wait to talk to a human. So it's actually a better overall experience for customers. And of course, it scales way better. So you can have, you know, a couple of CSMs could manage hundreds or thousands of accounts. And at this level, you also start to create specialization. So this idea of a CSM goes away. You start to introduce new roles onto the team with skill sets. And we'll talk about this later, but there will be skill sets in operations, in programs, in upsell and cross-sell. So you start to introduce some new specialized skills onto the team, which enables people to kind of transform into a new way of thinking about customer success and making sure that customers are getting great value. Now, the downside of getting to level two is it's very time-consuming to implement this well. If you think about everything that I just listed, automated emails, chat, in-app messaging, webinars, content, just think about how much time and investment is required to build up a library of content that will service customers well. It takes time to iterate. Like you're going to put out 
things that you think are good for customers and they're going to hate it. So you're going to have to iterate on those campaigns. And the last piece I would say that's difficult is, you know, as the business changes and matures over time, all the content that you created has to be updated and maintained to match, you know, the current state of the product, the current customers that are being targeted, et cetera. So those are the drawbacks. But, you know, I think for most companies at scale, this is a far superior model over level one. Totally. And I think that's why we're seeing like across the board, there's like product ops is popping up. There's, I imagine one day customer ops. Like, Yeah. I mean, to move faster, to make better decisions, you got to like enable technology so we can all become that cyborg uh, that we all wanted to be growing up where we're really working on this stuff that lights us up. It's exciting. And so the technology assists us. It doesn't just destroy our jobs. <laughs> so totally agree on that front. Um, one of the questions I had though, to dig more into this is, so whenever a lot of these teams we're talking to, they go down this product-led path. Typically, yes, we mentioned it before, like support will go up. There's a lot more requests. And a lot of the times, sometimes it's like the product team will look through and sort through those tickets and try and spot trends like, hey, we got like 100 tickets on this one issue. Let's just solve the, the product issue here because it's actually a bug. We can solve that. How do you balance that? at that first stage of level two, it's like, okay, there's more influx of these tickets, but how do we dissect and really get on top of it? So it's not just like a ton of tickets coming our way, but we're looking at it proactively. Is there any like technology that enables that as far as like being a bit more proactive at identifying like trends? Like there's a hundred requests for this stupid bug. Uh, Let's solve that. And then we'll actually have a lot more time on our hands to solve the hard problems that are one-off instances. Yeah, from a technology perspective, that problem is not solved. Just full stop. That's actually one of the first things that Nuffset is building into its platform is a way to help companies understand exactly where are the pain points, how do you collate those and demonstrate a need to fix certain parts of the product to the product management team. How do you prioritize different tool, you know, different uh, aspects of the product? bugs and features both. So yeah, unfortunately right now, there isn't a product that will solve that problem for you. It's going to be a lot of brute force work, spreadsheets, keeping track of Zendesk tickets. So today there isn't a good technology solution for that. Knock on wood, enough said we'll solve that problem for the market. And we didn't discuss this ahead of time, Wes. You didn't set me up for that plug. Yeah. So what ends up happening in level two is it's very much an iterative process, meaning you start with Uh, CSMs who have one-to-one relationships with hundreds of customers, the list of tickets is endless. And those CSMs start to call out the areas of most intense pain for most customers. And you start to iterate on and solve those issues first. Then as those issues go away, the CSM focuses on the next biggest area of pain and then the next and the next. So the, the process of maturing level two is very iterative and it's based on getting human feedback on what's happening. You know, the a CSM's impressions of the biggest pain points for customers, and the company reacts to that. Whether it's uh, new content, it's automation, it's improvements to the product, etc. So you should absolutely expect in the early days to be absolutely overwhelmed with tickets. It's going to be the nature of the low touch model. So everyone listening, get ready because that's the fun part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's kind of no way around it, to be honest. I mean, unless the company started with a product-led growth mindset, invested heavily in UX, invested heavily in building a product that's simple and easy to use. And by the way, like 3% of companies actually do this. Yeah. So most companies will just have to go through the pain of building towards level two. Right. Okay. So one part I'm still kind of lost on is we started at the beginning of this going through the whole concept of like, okay, when it comes to customer support, customer success, one of the big conundrums in this space is most people are reactive. They want to become more proactive. So level two, like how does this really translate to, to equipping people to be more proactive? Like you mentioned that one tactical example of like, yes, you could use one email that forwards to five CSM so they can get the stuff faster. I see that as like, that's amplifying the reaction time to make it shorter, which is good. I think any customer will say that's a great step in the right direction for me because I get my stuff answered faster regardless of time zones and all that stuff. But the proactive component, where does that fit in? Yeah, great question, clarification. And I didn't mention that. So in level one, the CSM is spending most of their time reacting to inbound requests. At level two, the CSM actually has quite a few tools to track and manage what's going on in customer accounts. So they're watching usage trends. They're looking at NPS scores. They are getting uh, feedback coming in from customer support. And at that point, they have their customer... Oftentimes, they have their customers segmented into different groups based on when they bought, what type of product they bought, who they sold into, industry, et cetera. And so what CSMs are able to do with these more advanced tools is to identify groups of customers that are possibly having problems in onboarding, or maybe they're not using a specific feature very much. And they're able to say, okay, for these 200 customers, we're going to send them a proactive email or an in-app message to address the fact that they're not onboarding very well or to address the fact that they haven't seen this feature, they haven't started using this feature yet. So a lot of the CSM's job becomes proactive in the sense that they are watching for trends, they're watching for problems, and then they have the tools that they need to reach out to customers and offer the value that's potentially missing in the experience. So I guess to rephrase this as well, like, do you feel like this difference between being reactive and proactive is more of like a knowledge gap? Like, hey, like customer support, customer success people, they just don't quite understand that they should be more proactive. Or do you feel like it's more like a technology gap right now where it's like, hey, like we'd love to, everything you're saying, Chris, sounds great. (laughs) Yay for being proactive. But like, I don't have the data to make that decision. For instance, what you just mentioned about like within the product, like if someone hadn't seen this new feature or something like that, like that's a great opportunity for someone in customer success to be like, hey, we're continually adding value, like more stuff for you. You should stick around. Like there's tons of great reasons, but like you couldn't actually do that if you didn't have good data or product analytics installed. So I think there's like the operationalization of like the data and making it useful to every team. But where do you stand on that? Is it more of like a knowledge gap, a technology gap, or just a mixture of both? I think it's probably easiest to chunk all the way back up to the top, which is what's the problem to be solved here? The problem is that a company will say, we are willing to spend, I'm going to come up with an example here. We're willing to spend 10% of our recurring revenue to retain customers. 
And so if, for example, if I'm going to come up with a, a random example here, let's say I'm paying my customer success manager $75,000 and that has to be 10% of the ARR they're managing. That means that that $75,000 CSM has to manage at least $750,000 in revenue. Mm-hmm. If my clients are paying me $1,000 a year, that means as a CSM, I have to manage 750 customers. So I don't care who you are, no human can be proactive having to manage the needs, the questions, the renewal paperwork of 750 accounts. So the gap right now is you know, unit economics are causing companies to need to figure out a way to manage more customers. And the ability, you know, humans just don't have enough time in the day to do that. So the gap right now is a technology gap. It's the ability for uh, the tools that CSMs need to manage hundreds of accounts are only just now starting to come online. So the tools are available, by the way, but the company has to spend the time to develop the tools. Actually, I should say it's, it's actually a combination of tools and content. So if you have tools and content, you can take a single CSM and turn them into a, an army of one. Definitely. Awesome. Thanks for the, the clarification on that. And I didn't want to stop you from level three because level three is pretty exciting. That's full cyborg mode, right? It is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, level three is, I think, what really everyone aspires to get to, which is it's really fully automated technology-driven engagement. And think of the CSMs in this model as Navy SEALs. When a customer has gone way off the rails, they come in and do small engagements to get customers back on track. But the, the company, for the most part, is relying on technology to drive the entire engagement with the customer. And frankly, the only way to get to level three is to invest very heavily in user experience of the product. It has to be so stupidly easy to use. I mean, think Dropbox, you know, or Think of a task management tool like Wonderlist. I guess it's Microsoft to do now. Google Calendar. It takes no training. You can go in yourself, get value. You understand how to use it. So it has to be a product at that level. And if you have a product that is that easy to use, then you can very much automate the onboarding of the customer, tee up training and onboarding sessions that could be pre-recorded webinars. They could be white papers. They can be in-app notifications. And then deliver newsletters and content over the course of the customer journey to help sure that they're getting the most value out of the account. And then product usage, you know, the usage data of the customer will also trigger content to be sent to the customer at relevant times without a human needing to be involved. So I think this is what we all would like to be at. But again, only possible when the product is extremely easy to use. Now I'm going to throw a wrench in it. Great. To come <laughs> please, please do. Please do. Here we go. So when it comes to like product-led onboarding, one of the things that we hear a lot is just, okay, like let's not create this one-size-fits-all kind of experience for anyone. I don't think you stand for that either. You want to have something where it's like, you know, it's custom to that account. Let's say, for instance, their Fortune 500 massive potential ARR. Okay, do we give that person, let's say, the fully automated level three approach where like we don't talk to them one 
one bit whatsoever. I think for that approach could work. I mean, like if you look at Slack and like they could get more and more people on board, but eventually you kind of want to accelerate that either from a support perspective or a sales perspective. And you might want to have more of a level two approach where you identify that account, proactively reach out and help them uh, versus just being completely level three. So I'm, I'm kind of seeing it as like, a lot of product like companies, they do want to aim or aspire for that level three, especially for like the smaller or mid-sized accounts and have it as much as possible, like fully technology driven. But I think there's also that other phase of like, hey, like for those bigger accounts, maybe a level two could actually be more effective for us to be proactive in that zone of genius as far as bringing in that extra potential annual recurring revenue. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I'm going to even one-up you here. If you go back to our oh, yeah? chart, a very high potential ARR customer with a low complexity product, we don't believe a low-touch model is appropriate for a company like that. A dedicated customer success person, we think, is the right way to handle that account because the potential for growth, the potential for expansion is enormous. And it's worth having a human involved to understand what are the dynamics of the account, what are other business units you can get into, what problems do they want to solve, and getting deeply embedded into the organization. So I would actually say even level two is not appropriate for an account like that. I'm not saying you can't include automation. I'm just saying someone better know and have the cell phone number of your contact at Amazon when they come to buy from you. Yes. Awesome. All right. So just wanted to clarify that in case anyone else here was thinking like, hey, we just want to build like level three for everyone. I think in some cases, let's say you're selling like a $10 product a month, like that's definitely where you want to be headed. But as far as something that could have a lot of potential AR for that single customer, yeah, you're absolutely right. You can play around with those different levels, have more high touch uh, where it counts. I think that's the big thing. Well, yeah. I mean, and let's just take a look at a company like SurveyMonkey, yeah. right? Low cost, a self-service onboarding, super easy to use product, great experience. But you know, guess what? If Amazon starts using SurveyMonkey, someone's going to be on the line with that person talking about what their goals are and what the organization's trying to accomplish. Yeah. So I think we, we actually probably see this very similarly in our chart backs it up. So high potential ARR customer with low complexity product, do not make that an automated model. Do not make that a level two model. Make sure that you have a dedicated person on that account. Awesome. Okay. So for everyone who's listening, I just want to hear your thoughts. So we've talked about all these different models. Now people have a good idea of you know what level they should have for the product they have, how they can work through it if they're still at level one, how they can accelerate to level three and the steps along the way. But as you're thinking about building your CSM team, how do you really approach that? Uh, what does a low-touch CSM team that's set up for success actually look like? Can you just provide a bit more context around that? Yeah. So as your low-touch model scales, you'll spend less time thinking about like, okay, how many CSMs do I need or how many customers will I give per CSM? You stop thinking about it uh, like that. You stop thinking about how much revenue per CSM. Instead, you think about, you know, because at a certain scale, it actually, there is no correlation between revenue and CSM. It's about how effective your low-touch model is. And you, there are a few key skill sets that you need to onboard onto your team in order to pull off low-touch at scale. So I'm going to walk through each of them one by one. 
I'm not going to give any titles for each of these roles, by the way, because you can call them whatever you want, but the skill is what matters. So skill number one is the skill of operations. This is a skill set that's all about backend systems, making sure that you've implemented the right tools. Data is syncing back and forth between systems. Automation is enabled for CSMs. Training CSM, internal CSMs on how to use the these products effectively. That's the operations skill set. That can either live in customer success or in some cases it actually lives in marketing because marketers are already really, really good at these skills frequently. So we've seen it live in both places. The next role is probably the closest thing to a CSM role. The skill set here is customer advocate. So this is someone who is able to analyze data, reports, uh, read customer feedback surveys, NPS, look at product usage patterns and identify where there are problems with product adoption. These people are good at anticipating churn risk. So it's a little bit like decoding the matrix. They can look at data and say like, okay, that account is at risk. Um, They're also good at identifying promoters, meaning they can find customers who might be willing to give, you know, a case study, a success story, a quote for the website. So that's the customer advocate skill set. The third skill set that's required is a content skill set. So this is all about people who can create training material, product descriptions, onboardings, webinars. So they're people who are good at understanding the problems that customers have and then translating that into simple and easy to digest content that solves those problems. Okay, that's number three. Skill set number four is what we call a programs or slash enablement skill set. So this is someone who is good at collating all of that content and then deploying them into campaigns for the customer so that they get the right content at the right time. They typically are good at A-B testing, so they're able to test several different models simultaneously. They iterate on the programs as the model scales. And the outcome of this skill set or of this role is to see spikes in adoption, in usage, and in renewal rates. And then the final skill set is an upsell cross-sell skill set, which is someone who is solely focused on expansion of the account. That could be additional usage of new features within the product, but most of the time it's going to be getting customers to adopt more licenses, cross-sell products, get into other departments. So it's closer to a sales mentality. So how do you get uh, unlock new pockets of, of revenue or budget within an account? So those are the five skill sets that you have to onboard. They can be within customer success. They can be pulled from other teams, but they are all required to pull off a low-touch model at scale. Awesome. Thank you for going through those skill sets. I know there's like a good amount there it's interesting to see like the overlap between customer support and customer success too and how i guess in this model with the upsell cross sell is that like you see them just living together in the low touch model yeah and i think the most mature companies that we talk to all of these skill sets live side by side together in a single team Awesome. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Like, what do you see as the strategic role of support and this low-touch model in product-led companies? Well, when a company does a great job delivering world-class support, it actually creates a true sense of trust with the customer. They feel like they are, are well taken care of, that their voices are heard. The company cares about their business. 
And so I think the strategic value of support when done well is quality of relationship and trust. In terms of the role of how support actually accomplishes that, it's having very clear, well-defined SLAs, service level agreements with customers on how quickly issues will be responded to, a definition of you know bugs, like what counts as a P0 bug versus P1, P2, P3, and how quickly the company will knock out the critical P0 bugs, providing customers an easy way to see what parts of the product are up or down at any given moment in time. So not just like, is the website up, but like these 20 different capabilities, which ones are up and which ones are down right now. So customer support has lots of tools where they can develop in sophistication to create that level of trust that the human component of what I'm buying is delivering as much value as the product component of what I'm buying. That's how I think about the support side, not success. That's how support delivers value to to customers. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I've been at Product Lead Growth for a while now. And one of the, the sentences I came up with where I'm like, I think this sums up support, success, and everything together of like, if you're going to get this right and build a truly successful product or business, it's really, you got to believe that your end user success will eventually become your success. And I think that's like a simple way of putting it. It's like, hey, if you can get more people bought into helping your users become successful, you can build a mindset and culture around like, how do we serve, not just sell? I think it really brings along a lot more people along the ride of just like, how do we support our users become more successful? And I think beyond even just support too, like we're looking at a lot more metrics around product-led businesses like product qualified leads. And at the end of the day, what it's really measuring is like, how well are we serving these users? How well are we helping them? And I think there's a lot of, after doing hundreds of these podcasts, just like different ways product companies think about this from a support lens, like Ahrefs, everyone on the marketing team spends a day doing support every month. Super interesting. The CEO of Hotchart, he basically refers to his Zendesk export as the Bible of his business. <laughs> and he just goes through it religiously uh, to find like, what are these issues? How can we help people better? And uh, I know the folks at AppCues, they spend like the first two weeks for their sales team. It's just like product education. Like how can we help people uh, faster as far as like getting them on board? They do have like more of a low touch kind of sales sequence there too. But I really really appreciate you coming on to just share like how you can model this low touch model, how it will work. What are some of those considerations you need to take as far as if you're just at the beginning of this, start with the level one, do what you're doing with humans, and then start to think of some ways you can definitely automate it uh, and eventually get to something that's more technology driven than human driven. But at the end of the day, try and match it up with the account and provide everyone with the right level of support they need for that specific account. If they're a huge Fortune 500 account with lots of potential AR potential, that might just mean you have that strategic CSM. Whereas what we're seeing in the SaaS space is there's a ton of SMBs, ton of small businesses that you can serve with your product. So making sure that those people don't get an inferior experience because you just can't support them one-on-one, but they still will get something powerful with that low-touch model. So thank you for coming on, Chris. Is there any kind of final words or anything you felt like you wanted to mention as it relates to the low-touch model or anything else? Okay, two things. One is I wholeheartedly agree with your sentiment around 
why success exists in the first place. And the language that's made the most sense for me is that customers, honestly, they don't care about buying software. What they care about is outcomes. So actually, at the end of the day, what customers want to buy is a solution to a problem in the business. Customers don't care about CRM. They don't care about customer relationship management. What they care about is get more deals done. And so what matters is our company helping customers achieve their outcomes. And I think that's, you know, companies that are very sophisticated in success, they do focus on outcomes and how software helps companies drive those outcomes. So I just want to like double click and share that I wholeheartedly agree with you there. I guess my closing thought is, I guess as a resource for people who are listening in, I want to refer everyone to Nufsed's blog. We actually publish a lot of peer-reviewed content We had the most shared customer success blog post of 2020. We currently have the most shared customer success blog post of 2021. So if you want to follow things with respect to customer success, check out our blogs. It's blog.nuffsed.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter there as well. And I think with that, I'm just going to say, enough said. (laughs) That's the mic drop moment with your company. (laughs) Awesome. And so I know people can find you at nuffsaid.com, but is there any other places people can reach out if they have future questions? People can also reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. Just search for Chris Hicken and I'll be easy to find. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Wes. Thanks, Wes.